You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday if the Islander game is not on at 7 p.m. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. This will be the last Saturday for the New York Islanders as the Islanders look like they're not going to squeak into the playoffs, unfortunately. It's just a really mishap season for the New York Islanders. And practically the same team will be back next year. They'll have a little bit more money so they can add another superstar or star to play with Barzell, something they've been lacking for the last couple of years. So Philip Forsberg is a guy that could be a name, and Goudreau's another one. The Islanders are going to have... $16 million if they trade Valamov in the offseason, where they can really put themselves in a situation where they might even be able to bring in two big players, two goal scorers. I don't think that's going to happen, but expect him to go for a big name in the offseason. So this will be the last Saturday for the New York Islanders, and you will hear us every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Speedy, what's going on? The Islanders, it would take a miracle scenario. I actually saw a stat. They have to go 9-2 and two or something, and the Capitals have to go like 3-8-2. It's like the minimum scenario. So, yeah, it's going to be very unlikely. So this is the last night you'll hear us late night. The Islanders just finish up their game against the St. Louis Blues. It's not going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. We have a great show lined up for you guys. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we'll be talking to former Orioles, Blue Jays, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers. A fantastic kid. You're going to love him, especially this interview. So we're very happy and we're very excited to get them on. Moneyline Mania, 84.5% right with their picks every single week. Dead on. Blackhawk West, or what I call Worldwide West. A much better nickname. He is going to be back this week. He is not going to be driving to Arkansas doing his <laughs> horse picks, so he will be live and profile. And Chaz, of course, great handicappers, and, and Wes is awesome. The best of the best. We will get into the Aaron Judge saga, and it is a saga where I think the Yankees are going to have a big, huge problem in the offseason next year, because I think Aaron Judge will be playing his last games as a New York Yankee. So, I think Yankee fans cherish the moment, and Hopefully, Aaron Judge and the Yankees bring home a championship this year because this might be the last 162-game season you're going to see Aaron Judge in a Yankee uniform because it seems like that $213 million contract that he decides to pass up on, which would make him the highest-paid Yankee in Yankee history, which is crazy to say with all the great Yankees that have been a part of this organization, he's making more money than A-Rod was yearly. So he was offered a seven-year, $213 million contract. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. We'll get into the Mets. Great first game, as always. I think the Mets have won their last 12 or 13 seasons when it comes to the first game of the season, and then they just completely fall apart. So They tend to do well in April, too. It's just May and or June they always struggle in. So we'll get into the Mets. We'll get into our preview of the baseball season. We will get into football as the New York Jets are still searching for a starting number one wide receiver. They lost out on the Tyreek Hill sweepstakes. Now that Stefan Diggs 
got a big contract uh, this week. Other wide receivers want a lot of money. Debo Samuels decides to drop San Francisco off his social media categories. So what does that mean for the Jets? A.J. Brown, who I think wants out of Tennessee badly, and why not go to his long-lost brother's team in Elijah Moore's team? These guys are like brothers to each other. And Elijah Moore, when he was drafted in the second round by the Jets uh, about a year ago, guess who was there celebrating his draft? And that was A.J. Brown. And why not come to the New York Jets and help the Jets out where they're very weak in? We'll get into the Giants. And is Daniel Jones going to be the lead guy this year? Is he going to lose his job by Tyrod Taylor? We have seen Tyrod Taylor take over for other organizations. Will the Giants bet on Daniel Jones going into the season? I think they should, but we'll see what this new regime is going to do moving forward going into the draft. We'll get into some basketball. The Knicks are definitely out. And LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Donovan Mitchell, those are three names that we're going to be talking about in the offseason because LeBron James might be out of L.A. because he's already spoken that he wants to play with Bronny, which will probably be two years from now, and he has one more year left on his contract. Anthony Davis, who can't stay healthy. I think L.A. is already taking flyers and calls for. And Donovan Mitchell already came out and said that he doesn't want to be a Utah Jazz after this season, which means he wants to go home. And that could be the Knicks. So beware of what could happen in the offseason. A lot of craziness. We'll get on to a little hockey, as we always will. The Rangers look like they're going to pull away as the second seed in the Eastern Conference. The Islanders are done. Let's get into this Aaron Judge thing. It's interesting when we talk about the New York Yankees and not winning a bid for a player. This is an organization that never loses players to free agency. Ever since George Steinbrenner came back from the suspension, George Steinbrenner built this team around going after and buying players, but also building players through the farm system and making sure that they never leave this team. Derek Cheater, Bernie Williams, Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada. The only one that left was Andy Pettit. That's because of Roger Clemens. And then he came back, by the way. But we have seen this before where the Yankees have never lost a player in free agency. And now all of a sudden, with all the money that's being wiggled around, all these multi-billion dollar owners... Aaron Judge, an hour before Friday's game, decided not to extend the contract that the Yankees offered him for $213 million for seven years, which would make him the highest paid Yankee of all time. Aaron Judge, one of the faces of baseball, he's the face of the Yankees. I told everybody on the Sports Loudmouths, if the Yankees do not get this done before the season, they're going to lose him in free agency because there'll be teams lining up for Aaron Judge because he's a name, He's a power bat, and he has been one of the faces of baseball for years. And I know there's a lot of Yankee fans that I know that are huge Aaron Judge fans. My friend Barry and his son love him. And Aaron Judge has really been a great Samaritan and a great leader for this Yankee team, who, by the way, has never won with him. Knowing that he did not sign that contract, you have to be worried. You have to look towards the future with possibly Mr. 99 not in right field. We could start talking about that throughout this season because, again, this could be the final year, Speedy, of Aaron Judge with the New York Yankees. There's two things that this deal definitely shows about Aaron Judge. One, he's banking on his popularity to get that money he wants somewhere else. The rumor was seven years and $250 million. Fifteen. So he's banking on maybe either getting a longer contract or a bigger contract because of he's a popular name. He's one of the probably five most popular players in baseball. So a team that either isn't a contender or is a small market team that wants to garner fans because Aaron Judge, very popular with the fans, very popular with young kids 
kids, signing the baseballs, and he's an icon. People know who he is. He's not the best player in baseball, but he's one of the biggest names, one of the faces, like you were saying. Some team is going to take that chance. That's what he's banking on, so that's number one. And number two, because he cares more about the money, he might not care as much about winning a championship. Now, with these new CBA rules in place, it's going to make it a little easier for some of these middle and small market teams, but that doesn't guarantee anything in terms of them spending the money, too. And Aaron Judge, is he going to expect to be able to get that contract somewhere else where he still has to play out this season? And if he's not healthy or he struggles a little more, because remember, he's 30 years old and going to be 31 years old in a market that does not pay older hitters as much, especially right-handed hitters, and also doesn't pay as much older corner outfielders. So he's going to have to try to make himself the exception to the market for the last really six years, and teams and GMs just aren't doing that anymore. I think it's very interesting because, uh, Speedy, you were saying that he wasn't going to get over for 200 I didn't think dollars. so because of the way the market was trending. But I think the Yankees gave him that money because it's Aaron Judge, and he's been the face of the organization, and they wanted to make sure that he would stay here as a Yankee for the rest of his career. But now you're going to have to start looking at losing him in the offseason and actually moving on from Aaron Judge. Now, there were stories coming out from different writers that write for the Yankees that the Yankees are going to go heavily after Juan Soto in the offseason. Now, they're going to have to pay Juan Soto a lot of money because he's going to want between four and $500 million. Maybe the Yankees look at Juan Soto will only be 24 next year as a guy that you can pay him that kind of money. And you know that you're going to have him for years. But if you're a Yankee fan right now, even if you get Juan Soto, and Juan Soto is one of the top three best players in the league. But to lose a player like Aaron Judge, that's a significant loss. And if you're a Yankee fan that want to see Aaron Judge to be a Yankee for the rest of his career, the only thing I could say about this is cherish what you're watching right now with him on a Yankee field. Because there will be teams that will be lining up for him in the offseason when the free agent market opens up. Philadelphia. With Bryce Harper over there, why not add Aaron Judge? Remember, Joe Girardi is the manager over there. Why not go to Philadelphia? That's something I wouldn't be surprised if Philadelphia brings him in. Anaheim, who likes to spend money with, obviously, Mike Trout out there and Otani. You put Aaron Judge in that lineup with Randone. I told you the Red Sox, they're going to be a team that's going to be willing to maybe pay a player like Aaron Judge because they're not going to pay Bogarts at the end of the season. So there are places for Aaron Judge. And those are just three or four teams that I mentioned. The Padres are another team that like to spend money too. If they can get rid of Hosmer's contract, I can absolutely see Aaron Judge go to the Padres. If you're a Yankee fan, again, I'm not excited about this and looking towards the future of where this team is, you better hope that they win this year with the team that they have right now. And I don't believe that he's doing it just for the money. He doesn't want to win championships. I believe that Aaron Judge believes that he wants to make Whatever he believes he should have made over the last couple of years because of this whole CBA rule where he wants to make all the money back that he lost. And that's where he's at right now. That leads to another tricky dilemma, too, because the Yankees are in the best division in baseball that are probably, barring catastrophic injuries or catastrophic letdown, going to have four competitive teams that can make the playoffs. So the Yankees now have to decide, all right. Do you want to get the best value for Aaron Judge and garner it to either win now or garner it to help another position where they can maybe get more pitching, they can get another another bat, a different bat? Juan Soto would be the highest of the highest, and Aaron Judge would likely be included in that kind of trade. I've been hearing that if the Nationals do want to trade Juan Soto in the offseason, the lead guy is Volpe. He's the 10th best prospect in all of baseball. Some people believe he'll be a top three prospect by the end of the season. That's the guy that everybody is talking about where – They believe if the Nationals will be interested in trading Juan Soto, he will be leading. He will be the the centerpiece of that trade. 
to land Juan Soto. But I don't know if the Yankees are going to be willing to trade him because they're going to have to trade Dominguez and possibly other prospects. And it's a lot to get Juan Soto. And then you got to pay him to top that all off. And remember, he's under contract for another two years, but he's already come out and said he's probably going to want an extension before that contract is up, before he goes to arbitration. So the Yankees are going to have to decide, pay Aaron Judge, give him the extra $20, 25000000 million that he wants, or go out there and make a move for Juan Soto, who is a younger and probably a better all-around player than Aaron Judge, and actually make a movement where you're going to trade away your whole farm system. And the Yankees, man, had a big win on Friday, winning in extra innings. I've told everybody that Donaldson's going to play a big part in this lineup. He had two hits and an RBI in this game. And I think Rizzo's going to play a big part in this lineup this year, too, who hit a home run as well. So I think where you look at the Yankees and, and the position that the Yankees are in right now, these guys, if they stay healthy, this lineup is as good as any lineup in baseball. They scored five runs. With Garrett Cole on the mound and one in extra innings. Usually when you see Garrett Cole on the mound, you expect them to win by like 2-1 or 3 nothing. The Yankees won a big game for the home opener. Let's see if they keep it up in this series and win this series against a very good Boston Red Sox team. Yeah, the other thing too is you see the Yankees can also do analytic and traditional lineups. Josh Donaldson, I think for the first time in his career, hit leadoff in that game too and played very well. And you're seeing the Yankees analytic lineup take approach. Rizzo hitting third, Gallo hitting fifth kind of more. Is that Aaron Hicks hitting sixth to try to get on base to help the other guys produce? And Kiner Falefa is kind of that double leadoff guy who was ended up being the ghost runner that scored the win run in that game against the Red Sox. So the Yankees could do a lot of different things, and you could tell with this kind of lineup, too, Aaron Boone's not afraid to move it around. With the Yankees in the lineup, they could do a lot of things. I expect the Yankees to hit very well, and I think they're very well protected, even if Donaldson hits leadoff. And by the way, DJ LeMayu was batting, what, seventh? He was batting fifth in that game. DJ LeMayu is one of the best hitters in baseball. I thought he was going to hit leadoff. So it's very interesting how Boone is really setting up this roster. But I expect DJ LeMayu to bat off lead off a couple of times every single week. So I don't think it's going to be Josh Donaldson. I think Josh Donaldson won't play every single game this year. If you see Donaldson in 135 games, that's a great season for Donaldson. And I expect that. I expect Donaldson to have an all-star year. I think a lot of these guys could have all-star years with this lineup the way it is. And Marwin Gonzalez is another guy that I believe is going to play a big part of this lineup, especially where you could put him all over the field. As far as the Mets concerned, I expected the Mets to win game one. And I was very surprised that Max Scherzer did not pitch in game one, but this hamstring problem might not be as small as people think it is. Now, I like Max, and I think Max is going to play a big part of this team in this rotation as the season progresses. But if he is anywhere where I believe he can't stay healthy for the whole season, like Jacob DeGrom, watch out. There could be a huge problem with this rotation moving forward. Yeah, Max Scherzer did end up pitching in yesterday's game yes. against the Nationals, had some uncharacteristic trouble for his standards. Now, mm-hmm. for a traditional pitcher, it might not be as bad. He allowed three runs, but still, for his standards, you want him to be a lot better than that and maybe that's showing another thing about the Mets where they might be rushing him back or forcing him to pitch more or more often with Jacob deGrom's injury and the Mets kind of are built that way where they don't have other length guys. You know, Tyler McGill did look good opening day, but still, he's not really a length guy, and he's also a guy that could be used in openers, could be used out of the bullpen. Same kind of thing with their other young pitchers. Even Carrasco, too, is a veteran guy, never really was a length guy in his career with Cleveland either. He was a good six-inning guy, but never really could stretch to seven like a lot of these other veteran pitchers do, too. So, if they're doing that with Scherzer, they're probably forcing him to do length, and that could be concerning long-term. I think it's going to be very concerning, and uh, with this rotation, you have to expect this rotation to be the strength of this team. 
team. If they're going to depend on this lineup and this lineup gets cold, and we saw last year there were certain aspects, especially the beginning of the season and before the All-Star break, the Mets had problems hitting the ball. They couldn't get runs if you paid them to. So if the Mets can't get runs and this pitching staff can't keep teams down from one or two runs, the Mets are going to be in huge trouble this year, and they'll have a major problem keeping up with some of the good teams in their division. The other thing, too, is the bullpen depth. We saw it do well in Game 1, but still still questionable for certain guys to bounce back. Trevor May had a rough start the first game where he had trouble last year, too. Seth Lugo was good at certain points, but still had to battle a lot of the time where we've seen him dominate and be the best relief pitcher, too. So there's definitely a little bit of concern with that. The offense was good at times, bad at times for the Mets, but like you were saying, their stars only had certain stretches where they did well last year. Outside of Alonzo, Alonzo was pretty steady the whole year, but everyone else was flash one and then died off. And the Mets seemed like the most consistent team off, which was they had all those replacement players in the middle of the season last year when they did well in June. And then after the All-Star break, they got all the starters back and just fell off a massive cliff. How many wins does the Mets have this year? Where do you predict the Mets uh, have? Just because they still have more depth than I think last year. I will say, hmm, I'll say 86. I say the Mets win 92 games. 92, okay. I say the Mets win 92 games. I say the Yankees win 96. All right. I think the Yankees are closer to 100 than the Mets are. If the Yankees stay healthy, they can could possibly win 100, but I'm going to be a little bit more protective on this. I say the Yankees win 96, and they're a playoff team, and they can win the division. Especially, oh, they definitely could win the division yes. if, they, if they do end up winning that much. The, that division will be tough, and it will depend on health for all those teams in that division, too. The Rays had a lot of guys that were hurt last year, and then they traded some off guys. They're but, weak this year, and I, I think the Rays might be the team that's the odd team. Out. I have them as the last one in, but I have the Red Sox as the odd one out just because they're already dealing with the injuries in their rotation right now. I have the Blue Jays, Yankees, and Rays in, in that division, and in the National League East, I have the Braves and the Mets. Interesting. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our guests. We will be talking to former Orioles, Blue Jay, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app on iOS, searching WWSRN or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. Looking forward to interviewing this guy. Very good personality, to say the least. We are now talking to former Orioles, Blue Jay, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers. What's going on, Josh? What's up, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I mean, I'm not retired like you and enjoying my retirement. I'm going to be 40, man. I mean, I'm looking at you. You're not too far, you know, off my age, man. I mean, you're 45. You're retired, enjoying life. What is it like being retired from baseball? What have you been doing since your retirement from baseball? Retirement is not all what it's cracked up to be. Bored. I'm working, doing some stuff like you guys, man, doing some radio stuff out here in Vegas on sports gambling and, and some mortgage stuff and chasing kids and working on the golf game. Gambling. How, yeah. how many times do we hear gambling? My ex-partner from 103.9, Eric Coleman from the New York Jets, he's now doing one of the bigger gambling shows on MSG here, okay. Madison Square Garden. So he's yeah. enjoying it, even though he stinks at it, by the way. It's horrible. I don't know how he is in gambling <laughs> or betting. So I guess everybody's an expert now. I guess. 
I'll tell you what, bro. It seems like it. All of a sudden, we open this out here. I say we, Brett Musburger and the boys, opened this thing out here in Vegas a few years back, and it it really just set the tone for the entire country. If it wasn't for VEASAN, you wouldn't have sports gambling in every state. And now, all of a sudden, because you do, and it's legal in most states, and now ESPN and everybody else has it. Yeah, everybody's all of a sudden an expert on sports gambling. It's pretty funny. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Orioles, Blue Jays, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers. Betting industry that you're into now, are you surprised that it's grown as fast as it has? the way it has in legalized in so many different states, almost all of them now. And what have those experiences been like? I don't think so because being out here in Vegas, we get to see it firsthand and everybody looked at it as a negative thing. Look at casinos as a place where they just take your money and they saw sports gambling as the same thing. It's just one of the things you label it at some point and then you never really address it so you don't know what it really is. Out here, we know what it really is. And so when these guys opened Visa and they created a show called My Guys in the Desert, and they took Brett Musburger, who's famous broadcaster, and they took a guy named Vinny Maiula, who works behind the counter and makes the lines. He actually works for the books. And they put a guy like me, former player, and another guy, like a host like you guys. And it's like, hold on a second. Like, so you make the lines, but you're trying to tell us how to gamble and how to be successful. And you're not really just trying to rob us. And you guys are trying to inform us. And once they realized that it wasn't highway robbery, that like, yeah, there's a way to win. And we're going to give you the information. It's fair. And we create all these opportunities for you guys to succeed. People started to be like, huh. It's not really a bad thing. And now every state's involved making money on taxes and loving every bit of it. You don't have to tell me. New York last month. New York's always the last one. (laughs) Yeah, but last month they made $120 million in the state of betting. The month before that, it was $75 million. It's ridiculous money right now, sports betting. So why not not go away? Why not legalize it and and reap some of the rewards of the tax benefits, et cetera, right? Yeah, we're not reaching. You're a huge Yankee fan. I'm looking at the boy and he's got the Red Sox state. (laughs) I'm actually a Mets fan, though. I purposely do that. We have a lot of Mets fans that listen to this show. So what I do to piss off the Red Sox fans, I make it where I have Fenway Park. It's a beautiful place, obviously. I've been to Fenway. I like to stick it to the Red Sox fan, especially when the Yankees win, even though the Yankees didn't do so well in the wild card game. Listen, year. I've been to that stadium many a time, and the only cool thing is that monster. The rest of that stadium, the dump. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We are now talking to former Orioles, Blue Jays, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers. So why don't we get into your career, Josh? Eight years in the major leagues, and being that you played in eight years of baseball, which in the major league, it's not easy. People for years try to get up from the minors. Some people never even get a breath and step on a baseball field in the major leagues. What was it like having an eight-year career in the majors? Pretty cool is probably the answer. It's everything you just said. Like, you don't know, man. You're like, you just, you're out here playing baseball as an amateur. You don't know if you're going to get drafted, then you do, and they send you some podunk town, and you start playing baseball and not really understand what's going on. You just know that you try to be successful, and the ultimate goal is the big leagues, and then you start to learn the business as you climb up through the minor leagues. It's hard, dude. I've got to be honest. I mean, every year we have a draft. We have studs all over the place. I always say, like, I could write a book on all the reasons why guys do not make it to the big leagues, and it's not your talent. Your talents rarely ever comes into play. There's so many different things, and that's why there's so many levels, because the major league game is so much more advanced than any amateur game that you ever watch and so to be able to earn that opportunity to get to the big leagues you're, you're pretty stoked and then realizing damn it's pretty hard to stay here pretty good players because there's no level above it so it's the pinnacle so now you got to figure out how to stay here and i'm in the al east 
most of the time I'm with the Orioles and Blue Jays. I'm facing guys like Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams a couple hundred times. It's like, how do I get them out 200 times in my career, et cetera, <laughs> right? It's hard. So it's everything you fantasize about, but then it just becomes a job. The first moment you stepped on the field in your major league career, what were those emotions like? Oh man, it was like coming out of a video game, to be honest with you. Ben Grieve with Tampa was standing on second base. I think Vinny Castillo was hitting. And when I went to the mound, Ripken was on third base and David Segui, I think was at first. I was two outs. And I remember as I was running on the field, as I run past Ben Grieve, I look up and it looked like he was like 10 feet tall. I mean, it looked like I just came out of, like, it wasn't in reality. It was like, I was coming out of a video game and nervous, man. And I threw one pitch and Vinny Castilla, he tried to buggy with me and popped up to first base foul, which was kind of cool. There was two outs. As that happened, we got the third out. I go sit down on the bench and Cal Ripken puts his hand on my chest. My shirt's moving. We're going to be all right. He walks away. He's trying to ease the tension a little bit. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Orioles, Blue Jays, and Yankee pitcher, Josh Towers. It's funny that you say it's like playing in a video game when you step on a field. And also, it's so hard to make it to the majors, but the same thing what you're doing as a broadcaster. Now the industry has become cutthroat. Everybody goes through college. They're trying to get their foot in the door. And now everybody's doing a podcast. Everybody's doing this and everybody's being an anchor. After your retirement, what made you decide to do a podcast? It's not easy and not everybody could do it. So what got you into it? I've actually never podcasted. You know, it's funny. I thought about podcasting like a decade ago. And it was like, when it, you remember when it started, it was like a lot yes. of hype and then it just died. It just went away. It was like, everybody's podcasting and no one did it. And then all of a sudden Joe Rogan made this famous and now everybody in the world has a podcast. And it's actually pretty cool because of the platform with social media, you can put everything out there and you get to hear stories from your favorite people. So now podcasting is one of the dopest things. The broadcasting, the VEASAN stuff, I kind of just found it by accident. A friend of mine owns a restaurant here in Vegas and he was having the grand opening. I met a guy who had a radio show like on the AM spot and he was doing like an hour a week or something. And so he asked me to come in and I did. And a guy that he had brought in works for VEASAN named Amal Shaw. And Amal just loved the way I went about my business talking. So he asked me to come in and do his show. And I did. I came in for 15 minutes doing one segment. And before I left, they offered me a job. So here we are. Did you ever stay in the hotel inside the stadium in Toronto? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. God, it makes it so much easier too. Sometimes like when you first get there and you don't have a place yet, or when you're first there for the first time ever, and you don't know where you're going to live, you just jump, stay in that hotel. Dude, it's dope because sometimes you get the room that actually looks at the field, which is kind of neat, even though we're always down there, you're not watching any games, but you can take the back elevators. We walk through a restaurant, you take the service elevator downstairs, so you don't ever have to go outside. Like I can be in the Sky Dome or the Rogers Center, whatever you want to call it. I can be in there, go to my hotel room, sleep, wake up, do all my work, play a game, and you'll never see me outside. It's pretty cool. As everybody knows, we are talking to Orioles, Blue Jays, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers. You weren't in the game 2009 when the Yankees won the World Series, but I know you got a ring. And what was it like just experience winning a championship and partying with all the other Yankees, the parades and just the craziness of winning a championship? That was the last time the Yankees won a championship. Yeah, I didn't get all those luxuries, man. I knew when I got called up, I was with them almost the whole season in AAA, but when I got called up, I knew that it was just extra inning type stuff. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to play too much. I remember asking Girardi too. I was like, Joe, am I going to play very much? And he goes, no, here's your deal. I was like, perfect. I wanted to live in New York City and Manhattan because I was like, if I'm only going to be here for a month and a half, two months, like I'm going to enjoy the city. So I knew my role and I knew I wouldn't be on the playoff roster. You go back and look at that roster from 09 and God, I mean, count the Hall of Famers, but I mean, we were just loaded with everybody we had. So right before before the season ended,
ended, there was about five of us. They called in the office and said, hey, you guys are just not going to be here for the playoff roster. And we were all obviously okay with that. I know I was. So I watched the World Series from my couch like everybody else. But again, the cool thing is the Yankees are one of the best-ran organizations in baseball. They get a bad rap for a lot of things. But as a player, when you get there, I was there five days in AAA. Ryan Cashman came down and he asked me what I thought. I'm an Oriole Blue Jay. I go, so I never gave you guys any thoughts. It's like, so we're trying to beat you. I go, but you guys are probably the best-ran organization I've ever been in. And you just have a tremendous amount of respect for them. And by how it's ran, it just makes you want to be a better baseball player. It really does. And when I got called to the big leagues, which I almost didn't, I didn't even go. He called my hotel room, by the way. This is the only time I've ever heard this happening in baseball, my whole tenure, because it doesn't work like this. Like you go to the field, your manager calls in the office. Hey, you're going to the big leagues. You're pretty stoked. We pulled up to somewhere in Pennsylvania and I get a call in my hotel room. It's like a 205 game or 405 or whatever it was. It was a day game. And this is like noonish. And I get a call in my hotel room and it's Brian Cashman. And he goes, hey, we want you to come to the big leagues. It's going to be for a couple days, blah, blah, blah. There'll be a car there in a few minutes. And I was like, wait, why are you calling me? And he's like, just thought I'd call him. I was like, you know what, man? I'm good. I go, call up Flacco. Flacco's doing well. He's pitching. He deserves it. He's never been in the big leagues, man. Like he earned it. I go, I'm good. I'm in a good place. I don't need to go to the big leagues. And he goes, you know how much money it's going to cost you if you say no from here till opening day next year? And I said, yeah, I'm aware. And he goes, is your wife now? And I was like, not really in her business, is it? And he goes, does she like writing that insurance check? And I was like, oh, you're cutting deep right now. He goes, hold on a second. And I guess my agent had called through right at that time. So he comes back and he goes, that was your agent. He said to get in the damn car and get to New York. And I go, and I said, bro, by the time I get there, it's going to be the fourth inning. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And he goes, no, we went 18 last night. If we have extra innings again, I'm going to need somebody. All right, fine. So I went to the big leagues, but I was like arguing with Brian Cashman about not wanting to go to the big leagues. I was in such a good place that year, which is crazy, dude. It's just crazy to think. And I still, to this day, don't know why he called me and not had my manager reach out. I still don't understand that to this day, but it's just an amazing, amazing organization. And like I said, like no one policed us. If I looked at a little scruff on you, I'd be like, yo, and you'd run in and you never care. You didn't say anything. It's just the way it was. And so you know why they're always successful. People think the Yankees pay for everybody, but it's not the reality. And it's also why it's such a big thing that they haven't won since. Mm. And, and it is a big deal for the Yankees not to win in 13 years. Any of the locations that you were playing in, is there one teammate that was one of the funniest guys, one of the coolest guys, and a good story that stands out with that guy? Who would that be and why? <laughs> You're not getting any of those stories. <laughs> Listen, you know what I was going to say prior to those? So I was with the Rockies in 08, the Yankees in 09. In 07, the Rockies went to the World Series by the skin of their teeth. One game, 163. Matt Holliday slid in, and I think he was actually out with replay, but they called yeah. him safe, etc. They had like 10 dudes that like wanted to play like half Way through the season. One of them had like four wins. A lot of them have at bats. They weren't with the team the next spring. They got traded that season. Anyways, guys who actually had wins in the big leagues, the Rockies didn't want to give them World Series rings. And it was a huge argument in spring training next year. And I'm sitting there going, you guys went to the World Series. This dude had five wins. You guys got in by the skin of your teeth. Like, how are you not going to give this man a World Series ring? The Yankees weren't like that. Like, I got a call in spring training with the Dodgers next year. And he asked me my ring size. And I was like, bro, I pitched in two games. I was in a big league for a month and a half. <laughs> They're like, that's not how it works with us. And I was like, that's why you guys, are, again, are such a great organization. Bro, I played with everybody. You got to remember, man, I came in. I was pre-steroid era. I was post-steroid <laughs> era. Pre, when you got your first round pick, you didn't go to the big league camp. You earned it. You went to minor 
Kelly camp. And then I was big leaguers, first round picks go straight to big league camp. And man, I've seen it all. I've had some of the best teammates of all times, but guys like Orlando Hudson stand out as wow. like, oh, is God, he don't ever stop talking. <laughs> and he's the funniest dude ever. And if you can't be in a good mood or ready to play or just energetic with him around, then you have no business being around. I'm never going to tell you any of the good stuff because some things we take to our grave. But I'll tell you this on field, I felt like I was probably the best fielding pitcher in the game. I was really good. That's the one thing I could do. And he was arguably the best second baseman in the game. And if I fielded a bunt on the right-hand side, he would cuss me out from second base. <laughs> I'd field it, I'd throw the guy out, and he would be yelling at me at second base as the ball's going around. Don't you ever – those are my balls. You do not – and we would argue on the field about who's going to field a bunt, and he's playing second base back there, and I love the guy for it, man. But just fun stuff like that, watching him and Mike Bordick wrestle every damn day in the clubhouse and fight. <laughs> Couches are getting flipped over and a lot of good times with guys like Orlando. We are talking to former Orioles, Blue Jays, and Yankee pitcher Josh Towers. How's your arm doing now that you're retired? Still to this day, I've never had an injury. I don't feel like I ever played, to be honest with you. But I try to explain this to people because obviously I learned a lot about the game. I know a lot about throwing and teaching and all that good stuff. And we're all built differently. Like my son plays, he's in college, but he's having major, major arm problems all the time. And we throw drastically different. Like Jacob DeGrom, his shoulders are kind of parallel, they're kind of flat. Like mine were like that too. Like if I'm going that way, they, I kind of lean this way, which is unorthodox. But I don't create leverage to throw a big curveball, maybe a slider, but I condense my miss area so my control is better. Not intentionally, it's just the way my body did it. So what it did is it didn't create stress. I didn't open up. I didn't do anything that added stress to my arm. I learned to let my body do about 95% of the work. And then right when I needed to release the ball was when my arm took over. So it was out in front of having, whether you call them good mechanics, bad mechanics, whatever you call it, by default, I just never had arm problems ever in is very, very lucky. I got to be honest, man. I'm playing my whole life and then 16 years or whatever it was professionally to not go into the knife or have any issues. And even to this day, like all the stuff that I've done with the kids in travel ball and high school and all the pro guys that I mess with, I go out there and throw on a regular basis and it, it's nothing, dude. And I just couldn't get more lucky. The toughest hitter you ever faced and why? Oh, there's two of them. Bernie Williams and Frank Catalanato. Bernie would just stand up there. Like I just lived on the corners and he would just foul it in the dugout, foul it in the dugout, foul in the stands, hook it in the stands, hook it in the stands until I made a mistake. And like 10 pitches later and I used to yell at him on the field like just put it in play like if I threw him nine pitches that's a whole inning for me that's a waste of an inning like just put it in play you're gonna get a hit off me anyways so stop wasting my time and so then I would just be like do this to him let him know a four seamer's coming and try to get him to hit it Frank Catalanato, luckily I played with for a few years. We would inter-squad with the Blue Jays and, and he was with the Texas Rangers. I think my first start, he had a home run off me too. And I remember one day in particular, he could do anything he wanted. He was the most amazing hitter I've ever seen. I remember Frank Menachino was playing third and we're on the backfields and Cat comes walking up to the plate and I'm on the mound and he looks at Menachino and out loud, he goes, hey Frank, I'm going to hit it right by you so you might want to back up. <laughs> and I already know he owns me, man. And I got to look at Menachino and I was like, dude, I got this bitch. Don't worry about that. He ain't hitting nowhere near you. And I swear to God, this dude works like four or five pitches and hits a laser right by Menachino for a double and he's laughing all the way to second base like there was just nothing I can do it's like he saw the ball this is the craziest thing I learned when a lot of people watch baseball on TV you're seeing a generic product right you're just seeing a game that we all kind of have messed around with outside or whatever but there's such an advanced game going on like with us in our heads it's not physical anymore and I asked Frank one day I said why do you hit me so well and he goes here's the reality he goes your fastball is not hard enough for me to be late on and your off speed there's not enough separation for me to be early on he goes so I get to 
hit your fastball into left center and I get to hit your off speed to right center. He goes, sir, you, I just sit in the gaps and no matter what you throw, I'm going to be right on it. So I see what I have to do. I have to really manipulate the timing or what I'm taking or putting on a pitch to, to get you to hit it to left field or right field. So then when I learned guys like Bernie and other people that were kind of having that same philosophy, whether they intentionally or not, I learned to take more off or create a little bit more movement or sneak it on you a little bit more. And I started doing that with Ichiro and I had a ton of success because like I learned this through conversations with Frank Catalanato. It's crazy the stuff that we're really doing out there. Bernie Williams is one of the nicest people you'll yeah. ever meet. I've met him quite a few times. He's an unbelievable <laughs> guitarist. Very, very funny guy too. You wouldn't think that when you look at Bernie Williams, he was a fantastic baseball player, but he was one of the better hitters of the last 25, 30 years of the New York Yankees. A fantastic, yeah, fantastic I don't think he gets player. enough credit. No. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Orioles, Blue Jays, Yankee pitcher, Josh Towers. You talk about kids. How many kids do you have? Are any of your kids going to ride into the sunset and get drafted to the majors at any time soon? I got two and a half. I got three. I have a daughter and a son. And then we have my son's best friend who we kind of adopted. He's been living with us for a long time. So the two boys are in college. They're both freshmen. Jack is going to CSN out here in Las Vegas. He's a middle infielder, third baseman. And then my son, Ryan's at Loyola Marymount. He's a pitcher. I'll tell you, man, not even just being a father. He is some of the best stuff I've ever seen. And he's a thousand times better than I ever was, but he's the one who's having issues with his shoulder big time. And that's why I said, like, it's crazy that I never had injuries and my son's having a hard time staying healthy. He's fixing to have surgery here coming up on his shoulder. So we're going to miss some time, but he would have been probably the closest because his stuff is that good. My daughter plays a little softball in high school. She's a freshman, but she decided after playing once in her life, like five years ago, she's like, oh, I'll play softball in high school. And I was like, what? Just like that? You're just going to jump? Okay. <laughs> See how it goes, man. That's your other family member right there, right? I've got two of them and she does not like and she's not getting all the attention. <laughs> that looks like a poodle. Is it some kind of poodle? I think it's a cavachon. Beautiful. Yeah. She wants all the attention all the time. Who do you think is the best pitcher in baseball right now? Ah, oh, it's Jacob for sure. It's not even close. He simplified the process of pitching and people are too dumb to realize what he's doing. But I mean, the hardest pitch to hit and Cal used to always tell me this about Derek Jeter, the hardest pitch to keep your hands inside is down and away. It's just the reality of the pitch and close to the ball is the easier it is to keep your hands inside. And Jacob pitches down and away. He lives in this little corner of the strike zone and it's fastball. That's a slider. Just kidding. Oh, it's a changeup. Just kidding. And he manipulates this little small pocket of a corner and he never misses to righties and he really buries the lefties. You got to respect his 98 mile an hour fastball and then right when when you do it disappears it's a slider because he makes it move after you make the decision to swing and it's so simple and we are too in essence stupid as pitchers like we look at him and go oh my god he's so good we can do it ourselves and we don't we we want to go over here and up here and down here six pitches later simplify the process of pitching and you got guys like max scherzer how many guys earn their contracts after they got him? clayton kershaw one of the best in the game i mean this guy's been and the mets season. got two of them figure that one out and they're still not going to go to the postseason that's probably them? true <laughs> <laughs> crazy about that team, man. Like, you root for them, but it's not the reality. It's unfortunate. You got to have depth. Why are the Yankees always so successful? Whether they win the World Series or not, they're always around the postseason. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they have depth. They're like the Dodgers. They have depth. When Roy Holiday goes down, they have somebody to step up. They have depth, and the Mets have no depth, and they don't understand that. So my last question was actually about that. Uh, the late, great Roy Holiday. What was he like as a teammate and a favorite memory of his? Yeah, that's my dude, man. Yeah, I could talk about Roy all day, to be honest with you, because, and not because he passed. He's the only teammate, and I've had a lot of people that I've played with, a lot of Hall of Famers, a lot of whatever. He's the only teammate. If you were sitting around right now, just sitting on the couch or something, and he walked in, you'd get nervous that you're not doing something, right? Because he led by example, and he was always busy. And he would never let you see him sit down, watch TV for a second, take a break. It's not his style. So like, if you weren't doing something, like you 
you felt guilty. We didn't want to win for ourselves. We wanted to win for Roy. Like it meant so much to try to get to the postseason just for him. And that's why when he got traded to Philadelphia and they went to the postseason, I remember talking to BJ Ryan that day. I was sitting in the sports book at the M Casino here in Vegas. And I remember calling BJ and I said, you know, Roy is going to, and he goes, what, throw a no hitter today? And I go, yeah, you know, it's going to happen. I go, how long this guy has been waiting to get to the postseason and how hard we tried and we couldn't do it. And how many of us let him down? And now he gets this spot with Philadelphia. I said, guarantee there's a no hitter. And the dude goes out and throws a no hitter. It wasn't a surprise to us. Like knowing that man, it wasn't a surprise how hard he worked. Oh, you know what? There's a story. We signed AJ Burnett and AJ started following Roy around all day mm-hmm. and spring training. Rightfully so, right? And so Aaron Hill and Russ Adams, very young first round pick. It was like Dora or something. Like where did my Roy Halliday go or whatever? They're like making fun of AJ, like chasing Roy around. And I was like, you guys, I wouldn't do this. You don't <laughs> understand. Like you poke it. Roy and he may not seem like much but you poke at him and whatever you do it's coming back tenfold and so they made like a t-shirt or something like Mock and AJ and Doc and I was like oh you guys are done and you don't have the money they have <laughs> next thing you know like a week later we're stretching and there's a helicopter airplane flying around and it's announcing a wedding of Russ Adams and Aaron Hill and then we come inside and in our seats there's invitations full <laughs> wedding invitations tuxedos for these dudes they decorated their cars we had a full cake a full-blown wedding and then they had the post airplane flying around congratulating them getting married with the media like it was the funniest stuff and i'm like man like you guys made a t-shirt and they made a wedding bro like you can't you gotta stay away from roy he might be quiet but he's nuts man i love them we really appreciate your time man and yeah. we would definitely like to get you on again your stories are fantastic we've interviewed a lot of ex-athletes a lot of ex-baseball players you you're just so like straightforward your stories who you are as a person not only as an ex-baseball player just as a person and, and and the stories that you have and the stories that you brought to the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be in touch. We'd love to get you on again. Yeah, let me know, man. Anytime. The great Josh Towers, ladies and gentlemen. Funny, and by the way, his dog barking in the background. <laughs> Wonderful. So we met not only Josh, we get to interview his doggy. Shout out to Josh. Great interview, and we'll definitely have him on again. A great personality. One of the best ex-baseball players we've interviewed oh, on yeah, the show. Sure. So fantastic, fantastic interview. Great stories. Thank you, Josh, for joining us. When we come back, we're going to get into Moneyline Mania. Here on the Weekend Crunch. <laughs> We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. What a show. Josh Towers. He was absolutely fantastic. If you missed the interview, you got to hear the replay because he was fantastic. But anyways, we do this every single week. We have Chaz and the crew. Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew. This segment is also brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly. Check them out as they will be back very, very soon on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Fantastic handicappers. Chaz really brings the best out of the best. 
when it comes to betting. And Chaz, what's going on, buddy? It's a pretty cool time of year because once we get started up again with our show, I take a hiatus because I do it every single day. It's a grind. I'm almost feeling like I'm itching to get back, but I'm going to keep going a couple more weeks because I got a few things I'm taking care of. And one of them is called the first Saturday in May. We got some good horses that I've seen. And I laugh because I wanted to talk to Wes about that because with baseball season starting, it's kind of like with the horses. You got to watch a few of these races. You got to watch a few of these games. But we've got something Wes going for us that most people don't have going for them. John! John <laughs> from GMS Sports. He's great, but his best sport is baseball. When it comes to baseball, I lay off of baseball because to me, the summer is for Canadian football. From now until end of May, I'm into NHL playoffs, the horses, because really every Saturday from now until mid-June is a big Saturday in the horse racing world. But during the summer, random day with no CFL, John is the only guy on the planet I will just blindly play his picks. That's a bold statement, but it's pretty true. John, he has a crystal ball and the Bentley model of crystal balls for baseball. You guys got me thinking now that I should start betting on all your bets because you guys are right now at 84.5%. Wes, when you've got guys that are giving out their win percentage, Percentage. They're doing it traditionally. They picked five games. I had a game where you guys were talking about the St. Louis Blues and how they couldn't win. And I said, I don't really care who wins. I'm taking the team teams over for the first pair of teams over. You hit six bets in one play. The sportsbettinglessons.com aspect of what we do here. And Wes does it on his Chicago options traders. We don't necessarily look at it as you need to find five games and when john gives us a play like that i can go back and take my easy sports data and i may take john's play and have five bets off of it because i love when you find a pitcher and you're not afraid to lay the money because at what point is too much of a number after that negative sign kershaw right negative 400 sometimes he's on the mound that's when you got to look sometimes at other alternatives and john knows so much about why he likes this team allows you to look at team totals and that allows you to say hey i'm gonna go with the team to win but i'm gonna give the one and a half runs because otherwise if you bet minus 400 all day long our 84 percent is a loser it depends on how you play it errol to your point with our percentage and how we're winning if you have the right bankroll management strategy we are right more than we are wrong. Baseball is tricky business because Moneyline can pay minus 400. It's not necessarily going to pay the bills. You got to hit a lot of those. If you lose one of them, doesn't feel as great. But Errol, to the point you made, if you were to just blindly play our plays with a proper bankroll management strategy, the same dollar amount, the same $1 on every single bet, and you stick, you stay there for the week, you're going to win more than you're going to lose. You know, Wes, I think part of it is a lot of sports bettors are afraid to bet a quarter or a half. Oh, I'm, I'm going to bet the game just betting the game how many times have we talked about it where those dips made all the difference you bet the game you lost i bet the same team you did dude and i won an easy thing to really get confused by is you look at a game and you kind of know who's going to win but then you start to think about well the half a point or the one point i see a lot of people buy the half a point or buy a point or tease it up and they're afraid to admit that you really like the other guy when you buy a point you really do like the other guy it's the number wanting to cheer for a team that's not an investment and that's why all the different handicappers we have on this particular segment and even sports betting weekly really amazing you guys should be proud of the work and the time that you put into this because you guys can make a living people can make a living doing this and that's why we bring these guys on this show because they're the best of the best here's where i'll go with hockey we're in an interesting time we're down to less than a dozen games left in the season so the east is all about seeding at this 
point. That's all these teams are playing for. And quite frankly, I think from one to eight, they can all beat each other in a seven game series. The East is that strong. Every single one of these teams are going to end up in the playoffs with above 90 points. They're incredibly dominant. So when I'm looking at the East, Islanders and Columbus probably have something to play for, but I'm kind of laying off the East. I'm looking at the West. The Stars, at this point, I think they may find a way into the playoffs. I think LA is going to see a little bit of a decline, although they've been doing a nice job of not allowing a ton of goals. They can't really score goals. They're only poison. Vegas is hard on the decline, and unless they get healthy quick, I don't see them making the playoffs, but I'm always looking for value. So, I like to bet against the teams that are on the road two nights in a row. They call me Blackhawk West, so I I will call it out when I see value on a Blackhawks game. I'm looking at the Blackhawks going over a half a point for the first period. I believe that they will score a goal in the first period. It's at minus 145. That's a pretty tremendous value. The other game I'm looking at, I'm looking at Pittsburgh and Nashville. These two teams both are at or very close to top 10 as far as goals scored, but they also don't allow a ton of goals. Nashville has a ton to fight for. Pittsburgh, Crosby and Malkin and all the goals that they can score, but Pittsburgh is pretty shut down. So I'm looking at under six and a half, Pittsburgh, Nashville. Those are my two plays for Sunday. You talk about hockey, and the Eastern Conference is very crunched together, and anybody can win the East this year. But I also think, even though the Lightning are a wild card team, I think they're a very good wild card team, and I think they can win the whole thing with the talent that they have, and especially at the trade deadline, the move that they made, adding another offensive talented player. So watch out for Tampa. You like what the Rangers are doing. We got to see the Rangers do it when the pressure is on them. When they're playing at home, all the pressure is dampering on them when they're down by two with a third period going on. So you really can't choose and pick what's going to happen in the playoffs just because of what you've seen in the regular season. These Rangers can score goals. It's their goaltending and their defense that I worry about. The teams that are getting fairly decent goalie play but great defense, they're the ones that I'm really investing the trust in. I think Carolina is going to be the toughest one coming out of the East. They're not allowing goals. They're scoring goals. And they have a really great connection between defense and goaltender play. So what do you got to win? 16 games to raise the cup? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I don't see the Rangers winning 16. The Rangers will be lucky to get out of the first round. I think they could get out of the first round, especially if they match up very well against Pittsburgh. The way they've really manhandled Pittsburgh the last couple of weeks. Again, Pittsburgh's done it in the playoffs. The Rangers have not done it in the playoffs for a couple of years. Pittsburgh's built for the playoffs. We don't know if the Rangers are built for the playoffs. Like Worldwide West has said, when it comes to defense and goaltending, that's what wins championships. As you saw what the Islanders have done back-to-back seasons, they did it because of goaltending and defense. The Rangers, their weakness is not goaltending. Their goaltender could be a Vincent Trophy winner, but there are particular games that really stuck out to me. He didn't play well. Going into the playoffs, he's going to have to play consistent if they plan to win anything in the playoffs. I've got some NHL futures. Pittsburgh, 1,500. So 15 to 1, Pittsburgh. You got Sidney Crosby. Don't ever rule that man out. He's going to the Hall of Fame. They're getting decent goalie play in a league that is not goaltending right now. So Pittsburgh is very quietly not allowing a lot of goals. So I don't hate the play. There's certainly value there. Well, when you look at 18 to 1, 18 to 1, those aren't supposed to cash, but that's a number that jumps out of me because they've got 90 something points. What about Carolina plus 950, nine and a half to one for the Hurricanes? That's my favorite play. That is the team that we've cashed the most tickets on this year. Early in the season, they were going over three and a half before it was cool to go over three and a half. They were going over two and a half before the league figured out they could go over four. Anderson has been stone cold between the pipes. That one, I think, a cash. 
Here's the thing about Carolina that I worry about going into the playoffs. They're a very good regular season team, but in the playoffs, they have played under their talent. They have played teams that they should beat, and they lose against those teams. And that's happened since the Rob Brindamore era started. I think Rob Brindamore is a great coach. I actually skated with him years and years ago when he played in the NHL, when he played for Philadelphia. So I know Robbie very, very well. I met him again at the Dallas draft years and years ago. Rob Brindamore has really turned into being a great coach in the NHL. The problem with Carolina going into the playoffs, it really was never goaltending. It really wasn't defense. And remember, Anderson wasn't their goalie the last couple of years. They brought Anderson in in the offseason. So they expect Anderson to really be a different goaltender in the playoffs than what they have had over the last couple of years. I think the problem with them is their defense has really fallen off in the playoffs. They are not as good as they are in the regular season defensively. I'm not going to bet that Carolina is going to win the whole thing out of the Eastern Conference again this year. The odds are extra high, maybe because you're not the only one that knows that because Florida is half of that. There is tremendous value there. But Errol, what team did you call out earlier that's got a chance of making noise? Tampa. Tampa, that's who Carolina would play in the first round. Mm -hmm. So your point has come full circle. If they do play Tampa in the first round, Tampa wins that series. Because I just think Tampa is built for the playoffs. They always have been. And they have the best goalie in the world. That's what wins championships. And we all know what type of goaltending you need to win a Stanley Cup. And by the way, they won back-to-back championships. So don't count the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially as a wild-card team. All right, so let's talk about that from the prop swap because I just did it with Villanova. If you're listening and you're betting a future for any NHL Stanley Cup win, even the conference, take half your money and get two tickets. So if you're going to bet a Sino, get two $50 tickets, and then you can thank me later after you sell it on prop swap. Chaz, you want to do some NBA futures plays. We had talked about the hockey, so let's look at the basketball. And the reason is I'm not betting futures for baseball. The earliest you're going to see me betting a future for baseball will be about week five of Canadian football on this show. Then I'll be talking because I want to see who's there. And what I'm looking at is I'm looking for somebody that dipped. I want to dip, but I want a, a dip like they went 11 and 19 in March and April. But I know they're a better team. So instead of getting 3-1, to one, I'm getting 7-1. to one. So when we look at the NBA, the thing I asked you was, could Milwaukee get beat by the Nets? Because those are the top two teams on the board in the East. I watched the Nets a few times recently. I don't see how they beat Milwaukee. I actually believe the Nets could beat Milwaukee. It all depends on health and Kyrie Irving's play. If Kyrie Irving takes his game to that next level like he's done in the playoffs, absolutely, I think the Nets can knock off the Milwaukee Bucks. The problem is, is Kevin Durant 100% healthy? Is Kyrie Irving going to take his game to that next level? And is Ben Simmons actually going to play sometime this year? If he does, you have a great perimeter defender that can play and defend multiple positions, and that gives them an edge right up front when it comes to playing Milwaukee. That's the problem that they had against Milwaukee in the playoffs. They had Kevin Durant guarding the Greek Freak. If Ben Simmons is on the nets, guess who's going to be defending the Greek Freak? Ben Simmons, who's an all-world defensive player. That takes a little bit of pressure and a little bit of stress off of Kevin Durant where he can concentrate offensively, which he couldn't do last year. When you're looking at these futures, do you want to go with the championship or do you just want to go with the East or the West? When you break it down to the conference, then it's one less series you got to win. It's really, really nice when you have a team that makes it to the finals, but the whole idea of finding a team you're going to get value with, they can't be three or four to one to start because 
if they're three or four to one and they win it, all you're going to get it down to is the one and two to one. And you need a seven, eight, nine. You need somebody in that range. And that's what you got to be looking for. So the one that jumped out at me, Minnesota, seven to one. I like Minnesota. I think they have a lot of depth. Carl Anthony Towns has had an MVP year. Now he's not going to win the MVP, but he's been an all world player this year. He's really taking that his game to the next great. level. And Edwards, they have depth. The problem with the Timberwolves going into the playoffs, they don't have experience. And going into the NBA playoffs, you need that experience. Whoever they play in the first round, that is going to be the problem going into the playoffs. Which will be either the Suns or the Grizzlies. Yes. Either one of them are going to be really yes. tough. I think they beat the Grizzlies. I think they could compete with the Grizzlies, even though they have a lot of depth. But the Suns, they don't stand a chance against the Suns. The Suns have the most depth out of any team in the NBA. That's why they're the number one team, and that's why they've been dominating all season long. And yes, Chris Paul. The Suns didn't even take that much of a step back in that chunk of games where CP3 was out. What I will say, though, is at some point, a team with no playoff experience, they figure it out, and they get on a good run, and they find the experience, and they win the whole thing. Minnesota, at the number Chaz mentioned, at 7-1, there's value there. I'm not saying they win it all, but I like 7-1. But that's the beauty of this concept of you don't have to win at all. You just have to get to where their odds go down to three to one. You sell it for five to one. Everybody wins. It's really the coolest thing ever, but it is a future bet. So now we're talking about Major League Baseball opening day, a little delay because of conflict with labor. But the one thing about baseball, it's got something that no other sport we talk about has. No other sport that we talk about has a pitcher that dominates the game, that touches the ball every single time. And that's the difference, I think, in in betting baseball that betting any other sport is how much weight does the pitcher get, Errol? We all know the pitcher is the most important position in professional sports. If you have a dominant pitcher, he can win a baseball game. I've seen a pitcher in the National League get the only hit in the game, which is a home run, and then pitch a full game. He practically wins the game by himself and pitched a no-hitter. So a pitcher could dominate a game, and we've seen that yesterday with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Garrett Cole did not pitch well in the first inning. The Yankees hitting had to pick up the slack. And what happens in the 11th inning? The guy that they made a trade for that all the Yankee fans wanted to jump off the plank because they're going to get Carlos Correa. Donaldson was the game-winning hit. Expect Donaldson to have a big year in that lineup. More than a quarterback, though. Yes. I think the pitcher is much more important, especially in the playoffs. And what did they say in baseball playoffs? If you have dominant pitching, you're going to win. Only last year that really stood out. It wasn't the dominance of pitching that won the championship. It was really the lineups and how the lineups were set up in the trades at the trade deadline that worked out for the Braves. That's why the Braves won the World Series last year. It wasn't their pitching. It was just really how their lineup just fell into place in timely hitting. But usually, 9 out of 10 times or 9 out of 10 championships, it's all because of the pitching. So I'm talking about wraparound data. It's last year's data, but it's still current. As long as the guys are still on the same team and in the same team, everything's the same, you're still using that, whether it's Canadian football or baseball. So if I'm looking at a pitcher that is on the Dodgers from last year or on the Angels or on Detroit or what a team he's on, and they're still pitching, and he's still doing what he did last year, To me, that's just an extension of the data. I start my Major League Baseball season. First of all, I sign up for GMF Sports Consultants. Second thing I do is I look at all the stats from all the top pitchers, and when John gives me a play that 
I find a pitcher that I've got on my list, that's when I'm going to hammer the other team, team total unders. Because you got a guy pitching Sunday, like for the Dodgers, he's got a .219. Every 10 guys that come up, two of them get a hit. His whip is 1.02. If I got a guy that's got a 1.53 walks and hits per inning number, that's an over bet screaming at me for the other team. So that's where you got to look at. In the beginning, Major League Baseball, it's a new season. We talk about it every new season, Wes. You got to tiptoe into that ocean. You don't know how cold it is. Walker Bueller, if you guys are making any bets, Walker Bueller will have 16 or more wins this year, and he will be a Cy Young candidate, guaranteed. Put that in the books. Third best ERA, 2.47. Do you know how hard it is to win a baseball game if you look up and you got two and a half runs? It's almost impossible. you got to have a pitcher that is throwing up numbers like that. And there's just not a lot of guys. ERA in the American League are four and a half, five, and he had a guy a great year. The only problem with Walker Bueller is the injuries, but over the last two years, very slight injuries. I expect him to pitch at least 30 games this year. He's going to win 16 or more games. I promise you. And by the way, Josh Donaldson, if he stays healthy on the Yankees, 30 and 100 this year. He had 26 and 72 last year, 524 at bats. If he has anywhere close to 685 to 700 at bats this year, Josh Donaldson will have 30 and 100 easy in that lineup. And unlike a team future, a player future, you have to hop on that now. You can't have a guy hitting 16 home runs in the first month of the season and expect to hop on his home run total over 30. That's done. That's why I like baseball. I will not bet on baseball. Basketball is the worst sport to bet on. And then baseball. Baseball is so difficult trying to figure out how many runs you're going to score in an inning because a pitcher could pitch a no-hitter in the first three or four innings and then all of a sudden choke up in the fifth inning and give up five runs. Third time around the order. Pitchers every time. You just don't know. But then you can look at analytics, and usually there are pitchers that pitch very well the first time around. How many pitchers give up multiple home runs the second time around? If you do your research, you'll know what pitcher pitches well the second or third time around. How many times do we gotta tell you stop bringing up Montgomery Brewster on your show? (laughs) You can get any team out for three outs. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody's Mariano Rivera. 30 days in which to spend 30 million bucks. (laughs) So anyway, so that's what I'm doing on Sunday. I'm going to take a two-teamer, the Dodgers in San Francisco, and I'm going to have six plays. I'm going to have the Dodgers for the first five, and I'm doing the Moneyline Mania special. So that means I'm going to say one unit on him to win the first five innings, and then the half run, I'm going to do a half a unit. Same thing for the game. Going to win half a unit, but they're in Colorado. So what I'm not doing is I'm not betting Colorado's team total under. I'm going to bet the Dodgers team total over. So that'll be like a tiebreaker for me. Six bets because I'm going to do first half. I don't believe that if you like a play that you should ever not bet it for the segment they give you. So if it's the first half or it's the first five innings, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you, and Wes, how many times we've only had the first five innings or we've only had the first period. I'm saying if you like a team for the game and you don't bet them in those early ones, well, you are an idiot. Well, before I let you guys go, did you hear that Aaron Judge turned yeah, down a $213 million extension for seven years where he would be the highest paid Yankee in Yankees history? 
Could you imagine that? You know what that means? Ladies and gentlemen, I was right. Aaron Judge will not be a Yankee next year. There is no way the Yankees are going to give him more than $37 million a year. He's now playing for that contract the entire year. Where's he going to go? Well, the Yankees aren't going to offer him that contract at the end of the season. If he doesn't have a good season... There's no way the Yankees are giving him that contract. Right, but he has a good season. Somebody will come in and give him oh, one point five. Somebody will give him eight years and two fifty. He's yes. going to get two fifty. Aaron Judge will not be a Yankee at the end of this season. So, as a Yankee fan, enjoy whatever you love about Aaron Judge because he will not be a Yankee next year. He's not in Arkansas, Wes. You know how much it takes to live in New York? How are you supposed to live on $30 million? I do know, Chaz. Everyone's transferring to Arkansas now, so maybe Aaron Judge will join at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> The ribbons are $3, that's why. I was going to say, you get a pitcher of beer for 6 bucks and some cheap real estate. It, it's Arkansas is a wonderful part of the country. If you're one of the first 10,000 fans over 21, you got a free one yesterday in Arizona. Speedy, what did I tell you where Aaron Judge is going to go next year? Who did he root for as a kid? Oh, the Red Sox. I'm willing to bet, because remember, Bogarts is gone next year. They're not re-signing. They just gave Trevor Story. They're going to move him to short. Just to give the Yankees a nice little stab... That would be so Boston. It it would be. be, That would be cool. He's going to be a Red Sox next year. They'll give him the $250 million because the Yankees did it to them with A-Rod. I can see him in a Dodger uniform too, though. No, the Dodgers spent way too much money on Freeman and all the other acquisitions that they've made. Maybe the Mets. Steve Cohen would do it. Do a little little smack to the Yankees. Maybe not next Saturday, but by the Saturday after, I'll have my derby. we got to come up with the derby the week before, Mm -hmm. right, Wes? Because we'll be on Saturday night. I'll be really drunk that night. (laughs) I get drunk on Derby night. Well, there you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Moneyline Mania. We had World. Yes, it's no more Blackhawk West. It is Worldwide West because he likes to travel. He was in Arkansas the other day. He won a little bit of money, and now he's back and winning you guys some money. So definitely stay tuned every single week to listen to Chaz and the crew, Moneyline Mania. Sports Betting Weekly will be back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. We really appreciate you guys joining us. They'll always be cashing. Moneyline Mania, fantastic every single week. They're 84.5% right. I was wrong about Duke, and I was wrong about Villanova, but great tournament. Kansas wins. Nobody would have expected Kansas to win, but nevertheless, I didn't want to see North Carolina win, so I was happy about that. Every one of my neighbors expected Kansas to win. Oh, yeah, you have a little geographic bias there. <laughs> There's a geographic bias, and K- Who's going to win the next five, if you ask anybody <laughs> near me? They're going to have a lot of recruiting they're going to have to do. That's for sure. Well, if Kansas wins five championships in a row, I'm probably never going to watch college basketball. It is the pro basketball team in, in Kansas City. Lawrence is only about 50, 60 miles away, and it was a great thing for the city. Union Station was lit up with blue and the little red highlights, and Rock Chalk, Jayhawk. It is a really cool thing. Kansas City, party's safe. Nobody got hurt. Great celebrations. It was great for this city. Absolutely. As long as North Carolina didn't win, they knocked off my Duke Blue Devils. So I wasn't happy about that. So I was so happy and so proud that Kansas came back from that deficit in the first half. And Hubert Davis, I don't know what the hell he was thinking in the second half. You're up 16 points. He let them come back in a game that you should have just really pulled away mid of the second half of the game. So Kansas wins. Guys, I really appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week. Always be cashing. Money, line mania, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we do got football. And the New York Jets seem to be diming and cashing. They couldn't get Tyreek Hill. It seems like they're not getting DK Metcalf, but are they? Where are they going for a wide receiver? Are they going in the draft? Or are they going to make a trade and bring in 
a wide receiver, a veteran wide receiver to help them out in that wide receiving room. So when we come back, we'll get into the Jets. We'll get into what is going to happen in the next couple of weeks when the draft is around the corner here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is the search key, WWSRN or Android Searching Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, Moneyline Mania was fantastic. Uh, Josh Towers was fantastic. If people aren't enjoying this show, I don't know what the heck you're doing. Sit down and listen to this show. We have great content. We have great guests. If you're a betting man or a betting lady, you have to listen to Moneyline Mania because they give you precise picks to bet on where you can win some money. And us, you get to hang out with me and Speedy for two hours. What's bad about that? Speedy don't wear underwear, but that's besides the point. I underwear, but okay. No, you never wear Keep them. telling yourself. Why don't you tell the fans the truth? Why don't you stop lying to them? But you, you don't. You've said it many, many times that you didn't wear underwear uh, on the show. Did on you not? One show. It was not this show. It was down to the wire. <laughs> We've seen you not wear underwear during a show, but that's a whole... Another story. Why don't we get into some football conversation? And it seems like Mr. JD is trying to find a number one wide receiver. It seems like his depth charts don't show a number one wide receiver with Corey Davis, Montgomery, Mims, Elijah Moore, and Braxton Berrio. They did add two really good tight ends. They're expecting a lot from Conklin and Usama. But to me, They need that number one guy. They need that outburst, that bursting guy that can beat you on the outside, but also could go inside and kill you in a slant play. And they don't have one. Now, Elijah Moore could be the guy, but he's still young, and he's still a little wet behind the ears, and he has to stay healthy for a full season. They have been trying to land a top-end wide receiver. They failed about a week and a half ago on Tyreek Hill. They offered the two second rounds in the third round to get Tyreek, and Tyreek didn't want to be here. Now you're hearing stories that they're trying to reach out to the Seattle Seahawks for DK Metcalf, which I don't want, by the way. And they offered supposedly the number 10 pick, which, by the way, they gave them for Jamal Adams. Now, if I were the Jets, I'm not trading that 10th pick for DK Metcalf. As good as he is and what he's done in his first two seasons as an NFL player, fantastic. He had Russell Wilson throwing him the ball. I don't know how good DK Metcalf is going to be in a big city. I don't know how Mr. Purpley Hair is going to go out there in MetLife Stadium in the freezing cold winters here in New York. Seattle, it's rainy. It is cold, but it's not like it is here in New York when it's freezing and it's snowing. I don't know if he's worth a first-round draft pick. Now, obviously, they didn't think Tyreek was, and Tyreek is a much better player than DK Metcalf. But now there are stories coming out that Debo Samuel has dropped San Francisco on his social medias. What does this mean? Who knows? Maybe he's trying to make a statement that if San Francisco is not willing to pay him, trade him. Now, does he fit with the Jets? Absolutely. Mike LaFleur is there, wide receiver coach over there in San Francisco. He's running the same offense as Kyle Shanahan. He's watched Debo Samuel grow right in front of his eyes as the wide receiver coach, which he knows him very, very well because he was coaching him. Is Debo worth a first and a second? My answer would be yes. But will the Jets make that offer? Now, San Francisco, I don't know if they're going to do it, 
But they just gave up their future for the next three seasons for Lance. I like Trey Lance. I think he's the weakest out of all the quarterbacks in last year's draft class. Even I think Mills is going to be a better quarterback than Lance. That's just my opinion. But it would scare me if you're a San Francisco fan that Debo Samuel is not happy. Stephon Diggs just got a big contract. Tyreek Hill just got a big contract. Devontae Adams just got a big contract. These are all top wide receivers. Debo Samuel had 1,600 all-purpose yards last year. He was the best all-around wide receiver in football. He ran touchdowns. He caught touchdowns. He was sensational. If he wasn't the top five wide receiver, he was right there close to it. Because we forget about Cooper Cup, who just got yeah. an extension as well. And a record setting here. <laughs> but right now where the Jets are, they got to decide. Is it A.J. Brown, who is available, wants more money? He wants Tyree Kill money. He wants Devontae Adams money because he believes he's as good as them. He would love to come to the Jets. Elijah Moore is there. It's his family. They're like brothers. But D.K. Metcalf also played for Ole Miss. He would fit like a glove over there with Elijah Moore as well. He knows Elijah Moore very well as well. It is going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks before the draft. Do the Jets, Speedy, make a trade for a wide receiver? I think Debo Samuel is the best fit for them. I know they'd have to trade more probably than if they were to trade for Brown. Not that I think Brown is a worse receiver. I think as a pure wide receiver, he's more skilled than Debo Samuel. But Debo Samuel also was carrying that offense really the first half of the season because they had all those injuries to the running backs. George Kittle got hurt in week six. I think he missed until week 11 or something like that. And a lot of the other guys were not performing for them. And he really grew as a raw wide receiver too. And then he also has the rushing ability. You were talking about the all-purpose yards. He had 1,405 receiving yards, 365 rushing yards, and was essentially the 49ers' backup running back, which, if you look at the Jets right now, yes, Michael Carter had a very good rookie season, especially in the second half of the season, but the Niners' offense, the Kyle Shanahan offense, is predicated more on running back depth, and even just in general, the running back, the feature running back is being faded out, so why not have a a receiver that could also serve that kind of role, too? And we've also seen Elijah Moore do that, too, so they want to have that kind of warranty where they could have guys line up all over the place. The Jets haven't had this kind of a creative-type offense since I've started watching football, even though if they had receiving talent with the free agent receivers they brought in, they never had it in a scheme way. So I think Debo Samuel would be a great fit and absolutely worth that 10th pick and the second. I don't know if Debo Samuel's is going to be available. Now, the question is, is San Francisco willing to trade Debo Samuel? If they do, their season is over. They're not going to be able to compete in that division. Already a division that's practically has really upgraded. Bobby Wagner going to the L.A. Rams now. I love Von Miller. Von Miller had a great season last year, but Bobby Wagner could still be a top three linebacker in this league for the next two years, three years. Adding a guy like Bobby Wagner and a contract that they gave him, and and by the way, Allen Robinson, this is still a high-flying defense and a high-flying offense. I expect the Rams to be right where they were last year with the Matthew Stafford if he stays healthy. So that division is still very much stacked, and we don't know what they're going to. Seattle is going to do when it comes to the quarterback play, but who's to say Baker Mayfield doesn't go over there? Mm -hmm. And if Baker goes over there. You have DK Metcalf. You have Tyler Lockett. That's a pretty good offense with the running game that they have over there with Carson, who was out practically the season last year. San Francisco is going to have to do a couple things in order to make a Debo Samuel contract possible. D Ford, $7 million, has already mentioned that he wants to be traded anyway, so they'll definitely move that. Jimmy Ward's another bad contract, too, making $13 million for a safety that's average at best. And the other one that's possibly a movable guy is a pass rusher in Samson Evicom, 8.25 for a depth pass rusher. So those look like the three moves. And we've heard Jimmy Garoppolo, too, being dangled around, but I think if he was going to get traded, he would have gotten traded already. He's not getting traded. Trey Lance is not ready to be the yeah. starter. I don't 
don't care what Kyle Shanahan has said that he believes that Trey Lance will take over this year. I don't believe it. Yeah, so I think the Niners will try to shed those three contracts in order to get Debo Samuel the money he wants. I agree with you. I think they'll end up paying him eventually. He's just too good of a fit. He's too valuable to that offense with the way it's built on the versatility because the Niners are not like the conventional offense that's winning in today's league. You, when you look at a team like the Rams, you look at a team like the Bengals that are more warranted on the receivers, the teams that are in the Super Bowl, the Chargers now with the receiving depth they have, the Broncos now bringing in Russell Wilson. Like They're more oriented on the three receiver sets type thing. The Niners are kind of the opposite. They're predicated on George Kittle. They're predicated on the versatile running game that they have, and it's a little different. So Debo Samuel is too just too valuable of a weapon for them to lose. So I agree with you. I think they still keep him, but if they somehow can't, the Jets should be knocking on the door. Is Daniel Jones the guy? That's going to be the question moving into the season. They're definitely going to make their offensive line a little bit stronger in the draft. I expect their first pick in the first round at number five, I expect it to be an offensive lineman. But if I were the Giants, both those picks should be offensive linemen. They need to completely build that offensive line because if they want Daniel Jones to succeed, they got to do more than Thomas over there on the left side. If you add Cross and Aquano, you add to that offensive line, you put Aquano at the guard position and Cross at the right tackle position, that could solidify your offensive line for many, many years. Now, I know they need a pass rusher, so you draft the pass rusher in the second round which this draft is still stacked with pass rushers and linebackers that can get to the quarterback. I think that that's where the Giants should go at 5-7, and but are they going to do that? No, I expect them to go after a pass rusher as well in the top 10. So it's going to be very interesting, but bringing in Tyrod Taylor, that tells you one thing, that Daniel Jones is going to have a short leash. And if Daniel Jones doesn't play well in the first three or four games, especially the way the games are lined up, how the Giants could win, as easy as this schedule is going to be this year, the Giants could win 10 games with the schedule they're set up to be. Now, are they a talented team? No. But if Saquon Barkley is still there and he is 100% healthy, and this offensive line could actually block, this offensive game with Dable running this offense could be a totally different offense than it was last year. Yeah, Daniel Jones has definitely earned that fourth year, at least as a tryout type thing in that offensive scheme, because Daniel Jones was far from the problem last year. They had all those injuries. Their receivers were awful, dropping passes. Kadarius Toney was hurt for much of the season. Offensive line was awful besides Thomas. So, yeah, Daniel Jones definitely deserves that chance. And again, based on the true value of the fifth and the seventh pick, and even their early second round pick, there's really not a quarterback that I would want with any of those picks. The Giants have to build up in other areas. Offensive line, defensive line, even some more receiving depth. If somebody falls out of the second round, it doesn't hurt. Because, again, Kenny Galladay's contract is just god-awful. And the other guys really haven't shown anything in terms of development. Tony, again, he's there. you got to trust them. Hopefully the Brian Dable offense can use him in a different way that can make him worth the first-round pick from last year, too. But I like Darius Tony, And of all the wide receivers they have. Whether they do two offensive linemen or an offensive lineman and a pass rusher, I'm fine with either scenario. The Giants could also trade back with the seventh pick, too. Because the scenario I wanted after the combine was Ojabo at that seventh pick after the combine he had, but now he tore his Achilles at his pro day, too, so he's going to fall out of the first round. You can get him in the second round. Yeah, I I would not mind them getting in the second round because the Giants need all the pass rush help they can get, too. But that could open the door for another guy. Trayvon Walker is a guy that's in rising of draft boards. I personally am a little skeptical with him comparatively for what his value is. Carl Loftus, we've mentioned a lot, too, is another guy. Doubling up on two offensive linemen doesn't hurt either. Maybe it's a scenario of Aquanu or Cross with Linderbaum or a scenario where they trade back and get one of the guards. So there's many options 
options the Giants could do that are all good, but they have to focus in the trenches. And then Saquon Barkley, you mentioned, they might keep him, we'll see, but if they trade him, they could get some extra draft picks with that too and then draft some running back depth later or trust the veterans that they have. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some NBA and NHL conversation. The Knicks season is over, but so are the Lakers. What do the (laughs) Lakers do in the offseason? Is LeBron James on his way out? Is Anthony Davis on his way out? There's going to be a lot of conversation with that. And Donovan Mitchell, win or lose a championship this year for Utah, he wants out of Utah. What does that mean for the New York Knicks? When we come back, we'll get into that and some Rangers and Islanders conversation as well here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. Why are we talking about the Knicks? We're not going to talk about the Knicks. We're going to talk about the Lakers, where the Lakers are now absolutely out of the playoffs What do they do with LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the offseason? Anthony Davis has not been healthy all season long. He hasn't been healthy for the last two seasons. And the Lakers right now, with Anthony Davis being 29 years old and making the money that he is making, they have to decide, are they going to win next year or are they willing to trade away pieces where they can rebuild? They've won their championship over the last couple of years. LeBron already came out and said that if Bronny goes into the NBA draft in two years, which he's a senior this year, that means he's going to play one year of college ball or playing in the G League, and then he's going to go into the NBA draft. Wherever he goes is where LeBron is probably going to go. So who's going to win the Bronny sweepstakes? That's going to be the question because whoever wins the Bronny sweepstakes is going to win the LeBron sweepstakes. So I don't know if you're the Lakers right now knowing that is going to happen. Do you really want to keep LeBron for another year, or do you want to trade him for pieces where you send him somewhere where he can help another team win because you know he's not going to stay there no matter what, unless the Lakers are horrible again this year and Bronny falls to them? It's a very tricky dilemma for the Lakers. They have to trade him, but again, because of LeBron's statement that he wants to play with his son, that could limit his market. Now, it's tricky to tell. It's two years. He has one year of high school, and then wherever he ends up playing the one year at college or the G League. One year of college next year. Because he's a senior right now. One year of college, and then the second year, he goes to the NBA. So it's really one and a half years. All right. Nevertheless, the NBA forecast could look very different of what teams are end up good. And we saw this year, too. The East all of a sudden became the deep conference, and the West all of a sudden became the top-heavy conference. It could switch back. It could be all different things. All these surprise teams that did well this year could drop off. We don't know the scenarios that's going to happen. But nevertheless, any team trading is going to have to factor that into the decision where they would either have to hope that the LeBron's son is a guy that they can get in their particular draft if they want LeBron to stay there because that's going to hurt the value of only getting him for a rental if they don't want LeBron's son. And also going to hurt the value if 
the Lakers realize, all right, maybe we could only get it for a rental. The Lakers, I think, will have to trade him anyway because they have to trade him at his highest point. He had a fantastic season this year amidst all the other Lakers woes. 30.3 points a game, shot 52.4%, 6.2 assists. He had his best season. He had a fantastic season. So the Lakers are not going to lose any value from that standpoint. Yes, I, he's older. Yes, he's 37 years old. That don't matter. That doesn't matter. He's the exception to the rule of you're going to start diminishing at the age. That he's was... not diminishing anytime soon. No. Le- LeBron James next year will average 28, 29 points wherever he goes. He'll average eight or nine rebounds a game. Don't expect LeBron James to take a cut anytime soon. He's really built like a machine. Right. And he's never really been really that badly hurt. So he's never torn anything. He's never torn his knee. He's never torn his Achilles. And as long as that never happens, LeBron could play another three, four years at the top of his game. He could retire at the age of 41, 42, and still average 25, 26 points a game. And I expect that to continue happening because he's that good. Now, as far as Anthony Davis, he's been the opposite, where he's only completed a combined 76 games in the last two years. So teams are going to be a little skeptical of that. Now, he's still a great big man when he is healthy, probably a top 10 player still. Yes, he is. He's improved certain areas of his game where he was really only the traditional big man at the beginning of his career, could dunk, could play great defense, still plays great defense, but couldn't really shoot and then pass as well. Now he's doing a little bit of everything where that's still going to warrant multiple first round picks, but you need the right team that he's going to want to go to. He's mentioned Chicago. He's mentioned New York. And I think Miami was the other one you were mentioning on the sports loud mouse as a possibility Mm -hmm. with Pat Riley. So you have to have a team that Anthony Davis is willing to sign to, too, because the Lakers don't want to have to trade both of them as both rental contracts and get less than they should back as well if they're going to want to rebuild the right way and rebuild the way they did where they got all those first, second, third overall picks six years ago. So the Lakers now have to really make those teams push hard for those players in order to get the best value they can. It might be hard for a market like Anthony Davis trading him on a year, a second year in a row where he's had major injuries. As far as the Nets are concerned, it's really all about where they're going to seed. They're going to probably play in one of the playing games, and I expect them to get out of their playing game, and then they're going to be matched up against either Miami or the 76ers or even Milwaukee. And right now, if the season were to end, that's where they probably would be matching up against Milwaukee. This team needs to get healthy, and some how Ben Simmons needs to play and he needs to practice. If he's not on the court, they don't stand a chance. With his defensive skill, he doesn't really need to score. They've got enough scoring with the players that they have, especially Kevin Durant. It takes pressure off of Kevin Durant where he doesn't have to defend against a Greek freak, which takes a lot of strain off his body, which really put a lot of strain last year. Ben Simmons could really take away that deficiency that they had last year against the Greek freak. So, Ben Simmons needs to find his way on the court. I don't want to hear about the injuries. This is why you made the trade. I'm so sick and tired of hearing he wants to sue the 76ers for the $20 million. It's ridiculous. Get on the goddamn court. It's definitely going to matter against Milwaukee if they want to have any shot because Milwaukee's still very deep, very experienced. And again, they didn't lose much from last year outside of P.J. Tucker. And they're still getting other guys back, too, which is going to help that depth and experience going forward. Now, if they end up playing the Celtics or the 76ers, that's interesting because neither of those have the great depth that Milwaukee does, but we've seen the star power still be in effect. They're going to need Ben Simmons, especially in the Celtics series against Tatum and or Jalen Brown, or both. He could switch them off, too, because Kevin Durant is not going to be able to carry that same load of the workload he had in the playoffs last year where he was carrying that whole team. So they're going to need that, and they're also going to need their own depth to step up if they're going to have a shot, too, because I don't think they beat Milwaukee either way unless barring a catastrophic injury with one of their top players, but still, I think the Celtics or the Sixers, because James Harden could shoot themselves out of the playoffs, that's going to be a storyline revenge series for all those players. And the Celtics, new coach, a lot of new young players are just 
breaking out this year that may, we'll see if they're ready for the playoffs. I'm not going to say that's a definitive thing. They could sneak a upset in one of those series if that's the case, but they're going to need their own depth to set up too. All those trade pieces they got for James Harden have to show up. The Knicks need to do everything in their power to go after Donovan Mitchell in the offseason. He wants out of Utah. He has already said that the Knicks are at the top of his list. Don't trade R.J. Barrett. Do everything you can not to trade R.J. Barrett. Trade every other piece. You need to build your top two, top three talents that help you win a championship. If you have Donovan Mitchell, an upcoming star in R.J. Barrett, being your lead two players to lead the way, that's what you want. Go after Donovan Mitchell if he becomes available. He's already said he does not want to be in Utah anymore. He's still under contract, so it's up to Utah how much they can get for Donovan Mitchell. They can get a boatload because he's a top 10 player right now in the NBA. So that's something the Knicks need to do. Go after Donovan. Yeah, That's his, it. His value might drop a little, too, because he's already forcing his way out. And we also heard the Jazz report that they might be firing their coach at the end of the year if they don't get to the Western Conference Finals. Rudy Gobert has had his frustrations with the organization, too. It could be one downfall that could drop the value even more. He's still going to warrant multiple first-round picks because he is that good of a player. But I don't think the Knicks are going to have to trade R.J. Barrett, even right now, if they made that trade. It's going to be very, very interesting. As far as the hockey is concerned, we expect the Rangers to be the second or third seed right now in the Eastern Conference. They're playing great hockey. They've been dominating Pittsburgh the last couple of weeks. Pittsburgh cannot keep up with them. Pittsburgh has a problem at their goaltending position, which we expected as the season progressed, as their goaltender was an all-star and has fallen apart in the second half. Pittsburgh's done it before. The Rangers have not done it before in the last couple of years. Pittsburgh's built for the playoffs. The Rangers, we don't know if what they're built for. Now, Galant's a good coach. His system works for the playoffs. We have to see what this team is going to do, being that they're going to have home ice advantage going into the playoffs. The Islanders, they got to play this Right. The second half, they've had one of the best second halves in all of the NHL. They've been sensational. But they started off very slow, not having home games the first month. And the whole COVID situation, it affected the Islanders' season. But they bring in back Zach Parisi. They extended him. Clutterbuck, they extended him two years. They have money to spend. With Volamov could be off to another team in the offseason. The Islanders are going to have a place to go out there and spend some money. So if they're going to do that, finally give Barzell that line mate, that speed line mate, that guy that can put the puck in the net at any cost of the time and take the pressure off of Barzell so he can become the player that they expect him to be. Yeah, the Rangers are definitely building up at the right time where they need to get not only the home ice advantage, but at least some level of momentum. They're beating a lot of the good teams. Most of their duds have come against bad teams. Again, the Islanders are playing much better. Like The they Islanders aren't a half. bad team. They're not a bad team. They shouldn't be where they are. Today. No, no, no. I get that. I'm saying that's the best team they lost to recently. Most of their other losses are the Flyers and the Red Wings and the Devils, all these teams they should be beating and they're not beating. And a lot of them times they've looked ugly in those games, but they did bounce back nicely against the Penguins. Igor Shosturkin had a 30 safe shutout in that one. Not that he's played great this year, but they might get Capococco back to at least help their offensive depth, which they're going to need in the playoffs because the Rangers we've seen for years when Henrik Lundqvist was there, they had a lot of trouble scoring goals and their offensive depth wasn't there. Now this is a team built more on the offensive depth and even the defensive depth has gotten better throughout the season too. Ryan Lindgren's played a lot better. A lot of their young players, Braden Schneider has looked good. So I think the Rangers have it now with the skaters as a whole, too. Now, goaltending, as Wes was mentioning, this is the worst year for goaltending.
goaltending, and Igor Shosturkin has stood out, even though he struggled in the last couple games. Can he get it going in the playoffs, too? He had a little bit of experience in the Hub City so far, but that's really all he's got, and it's very fluky. We've seen top goalies have trouble in the playoffs. We've seen these random goalies break out and look on the run. You were talking about the Penguins with the playoff experience. Their goalie was Matt Murray. Have we heard from Matt Murray since he got traded from the Penguins to Ottawa? No. These random guys just show up, even Jordan Biddington with the Blues. Vinny Huso, their backup, has played just as well as him this year. So sometimes it's just the way the fluky goaltending play, you get hot at the right time, and hopefully Shesterkin doesn't fall into the trap we've seen out of other top goalies. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? We got crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World, Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What a show, ladies and gentlemen. This has been one of the best shows that we have every week. It's just something new. Thank you to Josh Towers. Thank you to, obviously, Money Line Mania. And as we always do, the final ending of the show, Speedy. We got crunch time. It's time for crunch time. All right, let's start with Aaron Judge, the biggest story in New York so far. Buy or sell, the Yankees will be able to trade him at the trade deadline now that he hasn't taken the extension. I don't think they're trading him, okay? I I don't believe they're going to trade him. I think by the offseason, I think they'll try to make a move for him. I don't think they're going to give him any more than what they offered him. If they do, maybe another $10 million. I, I just don't see it. So I'm going to sell. They're not trading him at the trade. Deadline. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I feel like even with the not, him not taking extension, they're going to get face a lot of backlash if they trade him at that time. And the market's going to be very tough. It's only going to be teams that are going to be able to pay him, too, which could limit his market, where they might not want to trade assets if they're other contending teams. So I think it'll be a tough market. I will sell it. All right, here's an interesting rumor in the NFL. So the Dolphins said that they were trying for have Tom Brady and Sean Payton team up together, which isn't going to happen this year, obviously. Buy or sell, it could happen either next year or in the future. I'm going to buy it. I think it's going to happen. If somehow they get Sean Payton to go over there to Miami, I think that will definitely draw Tom Brady. It would only be one year. And with Tyreek Hill there and with Gasecki there and all the offensive power that they have, they're going to have to replace and, and find offensive line talent. But if they do that, that team is stacked. I think they could win. So do I think it could happen? I would say yes. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think Sean Payton is one of those coaches that has been a strong advocate for a lot of these issues that have been going on in the NFL with the Brian Flores lawsuit and all the racism going on. I don't see him going to Miami. I could still see Brady. I think this is his last year with Tampa. I could still see him playing there one year. I don't see Sean Payton. I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. Chris Kreider will get to 50 or more goals. 10 games left needs three. Uh, absolutely. He's going to do it. Kreider's an MVP candidate. He's not going to win because Connor McDavid is just Connor McDavid. But he's had a sensational year. I think he's the third runner up, but he will not win the MVP. So yes, I'm going to buy. He will. I'm going to buy it too. I think plenty and enough time. I think the Rangers will get it going against these worst teams. Trade him in the offseason, Rangers. Well, we'll see. It uh, depends on how he plays and the leadership of what they do in the playoffs, but I definitely buy that he'll get there. Lakers will be able to trade both LeBron and Anthony Davis this offseason. I think they should, but will they? I don't know. I'm going to say no. I think they trade one of them. I think one of them stay. I can't see the Lakers get rid of both superstars, especially if they want to put fannies in the seat. So I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too, just because I think Anthony Davis's trademark is going to be very difficult. Yeah, Chicago is the team that he's wanted to go to the most, but they're having a great season this year. Are they going to want to trade off a lot of the young players that they have, a lot of the players that got them 
to this point, the depth that they have. The Knicks, again, they're another one in the mix, but do they want to go after another injury-prone player? It's going to be another tricky dilemma that they're going to have to go. So I think it's just market. LeBron, I think, definitely gets traded. I don't know about Anthony Davis. I am going to sell it. Austin Matthews could get to 60 goals. He needs four in the next 11 games. He will do it. I think he's going to do it. I mean, Austin Matthews has been sensational. He's not going to win it again because of Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid, he's going to have 45, 46 goals, but he also has like 70 assists, and the guy hits like a brick wall. So I think Austin Matthews will, but he's not going to win the MVP either. I'm going to sell it. I think there's other, just too many other guys that are going to steal those points from him on that team. Chris Kreider, again, the Rangers have the offensive depth too, but it's been kind of streaky. The Leafs have Tavares. They got Marner. They got a kid in Michael Bunting who's had a great year, has 25 goals. So I, I think there's just too many guys that are going to be stealing. And the Leafs down the stretch, we know how they can play sometimes too. So I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. Despite trading for Tyree Kill, the Dolphins will still miss the playoffs. Absolutely. I'm going to buy that. There's no way they're making the playoffs. Tyree Kill is only going to give them one more win. He is not that guy like a Russell Wilson type of player, a quarterback that can change the outlook to your team. Russell Wilson could give the Broncos four or five more wins because he's a quarterback. I can't see that with Tyreek Hill. He's a wide receiver. I agree with you. I think Miami still has a lot of deficiencies, and I do think that defense is going to get worse without Brian Flores there. That's the biggest factor I think nobody's talking about, even with their offensive improvements. I'm still worried about that offensive line as well, so I agree with you. I am going to buy it. Tom Thibodeau will be fired by the Knicks at the end of the season. Oh, I'm buying it. I think there's no way they're going to go into another season with all these young players not developing the way they wanted them to develop. This has been a lost season for them, especially with the development of the young players. The only person that's developed this year is R.J. Barrett, which is a great sign, but that's not good enough for all the young players, especially the young players that they brought in the last three years. I think Tom Thibodeau will be fired at the end of the season. I'm going to sell it. I just think the, the Knicks have had so many like weird coaching hires that the last couple of years. I think they have to keep the more steady one. I think they'll tell him, you have to get these young players to work or you're going to be canned in that season. So I'm going to sell it. It doesn't happen right away. All right, last one. Baseball preview of the six division winners, the Rays, the White Sox, the Astros, the Braves, the Brewers, and the Giants from last year. Two of those teams will miss the playoffs completely. I think it's the Astros and the Rays. Both teams don't make the playoffs. All right, so you're buying it. I'm going to sell it. The only one I can see is the Giants. The Astros might lose the division. I could see Seattle winning the division, but I don't know if they miss completely. I don't think they got worse in this offseason. The Rays, again, I think they still make it. I still think they find a way, even though they traded Austin Meadows recently. I think they'll find other players to make it work. I think they're a wild card team. I think Toronto wins the division. I think the Yankees have a better record than the Rays, but I still think they'll make the playoffs, so I am going to sell that. Only the Giants miss the playoffs. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our show. I want to thank Josh Towers for joining us. Moneyline Mania. We had a great show. Ladies and gentlemen, there will not be any more late shows on the LI News Radio Network because the Islanders are probably done this season. But go Islanders. Hopefully next season will be a stronger and better season for them starting off at home. Thank God. But anyways, we'll be back next week. Stay tuned for some of our great guests and some of our great content. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.